Hello, welcome back to Bread and Rice. This is Sam. This is Eric. And today we want to talk about identity. And first, how do you want to define it? Well, I think, you know, if you asked me to define, like, who I am, I feel like the first thing that comes to mind is maybe, like, Taiwanese-American, engineer by training and education, then maybe, like, some of my hobbies, like, I like woodworking, I like video games, but how would you, like, define yourself? Yeah, so when we first came up with this question, like, my thought kept going into categories, so, like, cis versus trans, able-bodied versus maybe disabled, or same thing with mind, Asian-American, Korean-American, heterosexual, female, late 20s, middle SES, have a doctorate in physical therapy, my profession is physical therapy, my nationality is American. And so I feel like there's like all these components to it. And maybe that's just based on listening to like too many TED Talks or... Yeah, that's like a whole like resume right there. <laughs> like identity card, passport. Yeah. <laughs> What's your passport number? <laughs> so if I think when people first see someone else in person, right, like age, race, and gender are typically the three things that they see right away. Yeah, the first things that pop. Yeah. I think some of the other things you mentioned, like SES, uh, social economic status, maybe like whether or not you're able-bodied or you don't have a mental disability. I think these are things that are part of people's identities, but people don't really like lead with those things. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just something people usually don't think about. But I think your list of like what identifies a person is really thorough, but maybe not like the typical response. (laughs) (laughs) But I think like those are all things that, you know, you're kind of like born with. Like your gender, at least your biological gender. um, And then like your race. Mm-hmm. Um, your age you don't really change <laughs> it's just you know what it is yeah something but, happening yeah, to you but I also feel like identity is also defined by the things that you do uh, so maybe that's why I say like hobbies or like choice of career but I think uh, like I feel like maybe there's too much emphasis on like career I I feel like when you ask somebody like who they are like 99% of the time they're just going to tell you like what their job is Mm -hmm. but it's really I feel like just a part of what we do with our time Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like I kind of am on the fence with that right so like I do agree that work is only part of who a person is and that there's too much emphasis on work however I think I do respect how much how many resources it takes to have a job sometimes like med school right or being a lawyer like it probably really has become a big part of their identity depending on where they're at in their career so and sometimes it's like fascinating like why do they choose that profession and i think you can learn about personality there as well yeah and it makes sense that you think about that i think all your friends are like healthcare (laughs) right yeah Mine are mostly engineer or kind of spread around in different things. But um, so how do you think people like 
acquire their identity or or figure out like what's most important to them that they use to define their identity. I think that changes what's most important to them based on the situation, right? Like if you are at a networking event, then your profession is going to become first. But if you're at a party with a bunch of friends, then maybe your hobbies comes first. So mm. I think maybe the work-life mixture probably comes down to personal choice of how they want to spend their time and resources. What do you think? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, like, you know, the things that I can't really change about me, like my how much I identify with Taiwanese Americans and Taiwanese culture, I think as a result of, like, my parents and their friends and the group that I kind of grew up with. You know, I, I think that did impact, like, how much of that culture is important to me and how much like I want to keep learning about it um, even though a lot of the friends that I have or like the environment I grew up in is like American yeah so American being defined as like mainstream like white culture yeah right mm-hmm. I mean like I'm pretty sure like most of my friends didn't go to like buddhist temples and stuff like on the weekends Mm -hmm. um but i think like that's part of it maybe like how how much you like identify with the culture is how much you are exposed to it through your parents because i think like because my parents were first gen is that right Mm -hmm. so like they came here so they're first generation i'm second generation um but there's still a lot of culture that is is just exposed to me you know through growing up with my parents and being raised by them but I think for some of my friends who are raised by second gen parents um, they don't necessarily like are in touch with some of the cultural things maybe because their parents just didn't feel like it was important Mm -hmm. but like I think some of my cousins who are also like second generation they try really hard now that they have kids to like make them go to Chinese school and make sure they eat like foods they ate growing up you know Mm. that kind of thing yeah how important do you feel like Taiwanese culture is to you like on scale like zero to ten like ten being ridiculously important (laughs) zero like like, no cares yeah um I feel like I'm kind of in the middle Mm. like I'm not like I've known people who are like you know, when you fill out official forms and you have to, like, identify your race, well, the, where they'll write, like, other and then specifically write, like, Taiwanese-American because usually it just says, like, Pacific Islander or Asian. Mm-mm. And I think there's a lot of, like, pride, maybe, in, oh. like, the culture. I, I'm not, like, at that level. <laughs> but I understand the importance, maybe, of doing that mm. because, like, it's, like, recognition, right? Mm-hmm. Like, rather than, oh, everybody's, like lumping everybody into Asian there Mm -hmm. are lots of different types of Asian people and I think sometimes people like in America just kind of like oh you're Asian and then lump you into that kind Mm -hmm. of thing but I think it is important to me to remember um some of that stuff like especially sometimes when like now I get in touch with my family who's still in Taiwan like it's easier to talk to them if I'm, like, aware of the things they care about. Like what? Um, some of it's, like, 
like recent events like in Taiwan or just like being able to relate in terms of like you know if there's like a holiday or something you know like I think sometimes it's easy to forget that when I'm living like here and we have our own holidays and our own traditions or American traditions and mm-hmm. stuff but I noticed that when you're defining yourself you didn't really say or you didn't say adopted mm. is that oh, i forgot yeah <laughs> that is a big part of who you are yeah that's true yeah so my story is i was born in seoul and then i came over to michigan when i was five months old um and i grew up in a pretty like caucasian area And then it wasn't maybe until college where I met a lot more Asian Americans and Asians. Um, And then I went and taught English in Korea for a year. And nowadays, my friend group is pretty Asian American. And the people that I interacted with as a clinician were more white. So, but overall, I think identity changes over time. Yeah, I think you used to tell me a lot, like, you're pretty much the only Asian person in PT school. Yep. Yeah, yes. out of 60 people, there was two Asian Americans in my class. We were both adoptees. That's uh, typically not, like, something traditional Chinese parents tell their kids to go into. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think there's a couple of barriers, right? Like, knowledge of the profession and what it does is one Another one is that it probably took about a quarter million dollars to go through PT school and just not everyone can take out those loans or has that type of capital to make that happen. Mm. So if you think statistically, most likely minorities have less money. And so... So going back to like how you acquire identity or like how you identify with different groups of people, Mm -hmm. like did you always feel drawn to making like Asian friends or because like my understanding is that's not your experience up to middle school and high school right yeah middle school and high school all my friends were white yeah yeah so did something like change or did something draw you to having more Asian friends later on I think I've always had a deep curiosity about the Asian American side of me and the adoptee side of me. I think when you can't drive and you don't pick where you live, your friends are where your parents placed you. And then as I was able to drive, I could go to Korean school on Saturday and that like started fulfilling some of that curiosity I had. Then when I went to college, I think that's really when it took off. I think there's also this feeling of being comfortable around people who look like me. Um, Did you feel like your experiences were relatable? Because I think that's something that I felt like when I was making friends. Like, I, I think among Asians with immigrant parents, like, there's a lot of similarities in the way they're raised. And, like, for me and my friends, it's like, oh, your parents also just expect you to get A's and there's no praise in the household <laughs> and, and you have to play piano and violin and you have to, like, you know, it's like a treat when you get to go out and eat, like, a burger. <laughs> and I think those shared experiences is what 
help me identify with the people I would later on like call really good friends of mine. And it's not to say that like you can't make friends with people who don't have the same experiences, but I think it is more natural mm-hmm. too when you don't have to like explain things. Yeah, there is a comfort. I think thinking back on it in college, we were all Asian Americans and we're all going towards the medical fields. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe like the medical fields and like taking physics together or like taking orgo together. Yeah just like helped us become friends and then like later down the line when it's like oh like this comment happened to me has that happened to you and they're like oh yeah yeah yeah. like someone's totally like made a comment on my eyes before Mm, and then so some of those shared experiences started building like in college well yeah i mean like the first time that someone pointed out to me that i was asian when i was i was like six years old right Mm. like those type of events happened to me, even if I didn't grow up in an Asian American household. I think my parents being white were also on the stricter side of white parenting. So like I got grounded for a B plus or like I had to call everywhere I went. I always had a cell phone. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't get to really go out to parties. Home by ten PM. Yep. <laughs> you know you know, all homework always done beforehand always had chores like that's something that's like really interesting to me because like i know like your parents i mean i I know them fairly well now Mm -hmm. and like sometimes i have to remind myself that you grew up like not in an asian household because you are pretty asian i think to me (laughs) yeah yeah i think to me like if you can learn about the culture and you can learn about the traditions and you can pick it up, like it's kind of just like a skill, Mm. right? Like cultural capital to me is a skill. And so then my identity can change based on that. All right. So you're going to have to define cultural capital because I've never heard of that before. (laughs) Cultural capital to me is just information about that culture. So maybe like in Korean, like what their holidays are or that like, how to use chopsticks, or I think if you look at core values, like Chung, like this mindfulness about each other, to me that's all just cultural capital, or like even food and language, right, that can always be acquired. So what I'm hearing is, as I get older, my cultural capital in Taiwanese culture is slowly decreasing yeah use it or lose it (laughs) use it or lose it that's true and mandarin is worse every year i'm sure it's okay one day can also get better though like if it's a skill like just drop me off there (laughs) i'll learn it real quick yep (laughs) i think that was something interesting about korean because i went to korean school i took three semesters of korean i lived in korea for a year I got to the point where I could think in Korean pretty well when I was in Korea. Mm. Um, But then I came back to the U.S., I went to grad school, and I lost that ability to think in Korean. But then I went back after graduating, and that ability came back within a couple of days. So I think that's, like, nice. Language is, like, interesting. I've I've never had that experience. Like, I think I always think in English, but I can, like, say it. Chinese oh really yeah I I like I always think in English but I I translate it Mm. as it's coming out of my mouth and I think as I've gotten older 
the translation takes longer. <laughs> so now I'm just like, uh, I'm talking to my family. It's like, hold on, let me think. <laughs> and I'll slip in some English words sometimes where it's like, oh, the translator's not working. <laughs> I think I switched my thinking because Korean grammar was so hard for me to translate. Oh, like, uh, yeah. It was just more efficient just to think in Korean. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've never really like thought about it super like in depth of what's going on in my brain, but I'm sure there is something there because I, I did learn Chinese before I learned English, mm. and then I, I did have a lot of trouble with English up until like fourth grade, mm. and then now it's much better. <laughs> yeah, you use SAT words on me all I the mean, time. Sometimes, and then I have to ask what they are, or no I have to go look them up. Throwing out terms like cultural capital, <laughs> so so woke (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about that yeah what were some things that you struggled with with english uh just pronunciation actually Mm -hmm. um grammar was okay spelling was okay it's just like i remember one time in fourth grade when we were going around the room like saying words Mm -hmm. we were saying the singular and then the plural form of world words and then uh at the time i got the word woman Mm -hmm. and then i was looking at the page and I couldn't figure out what the difference was between woman and women. Because mm-hmm. it's like... So subtle. Yeah, it's really subtle. And then, like, I couldn't hear the difference. Like, when my teacher repeated it back to me, I didn't get the, the it in women. Mm. And she made me say it, like, five times. And I, I, like, couldn't do it. And then I remember crying Because oh. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know what I did wrong. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Did you have to go to speech therapy? Like, how did you learn that difference just, over time? No, I, I didn't. It, it wasn't bad enough that it, like, interfered with anything. It just, mm. I think people just assumed that it, like, took a little bit longer. But eventually I got it. It's just, mm. like, you know, I, I think maybe, like, speaking Mandarin at home and then speaking English at school was a little bit difficult. Mm. I'm, like, kind of surprised that like, no one told your parents to speak English at home. I, I don't think that's a valued practice nowadays. I think oh. people do value speaking another language in-house, and then school is English. Mm. But I think, like, I've had multiple friends saying, like, oh, my family started speaking English because their doctor or the pediatrician told the parents to only speak English at home. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, maybe it was a Midwest thing. Maybe California was, like, more progressive. And they're like, it's yeah, I was okay. going to say, isn't that, like, kind of rude? <laughs> yes, it is when rude. I, I was, like, thinking about it. Like, maybe it's, like, better for the kid. But I feel like as a, as a parent, I'd be like, why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I think in the long run, it's not better for the kid. I think uh, being bilingual, yeah. definitely. They're like, trying to make us, like, suppress our culture and our language in our home. I, I think if you look at the best intentions of it, right, it was, like, to help the kid, like, get through, like, K through yeah, 5, I, right, only speak English. However, I think when you look long-term in it, and the studies that show that bilingual is super useful and um, super great, yeah. that um, the practice nowadays is to encourage. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like, both languages being spoken. Yeah. But... You actually know the, the research. <laughs> and that was just my gut reaction. I was just... I don't know anything about this practice, but it sounds kind of... Sounds mean. You know, it was, yeah, it sounds shady. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like, practice changes over time. Like, yeah. the more that we know and learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. 
I'm kind of surprised. Because hmm. I have not telling multiple of my friends. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it did, but my parents just didn't tell me. <laughs> They're just like, no. <laughs> I was too young to know at the time. <laughs> did your parents ever tell you, like, how they chose, like, Mandarin? Because your mom speaks Mandarin, Taiwanese, and English. Yeah, because my, well, yeah, my dad always made fun of my mom for her Taiwanese. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess, like, the way that she spoke it oh. was not the way that he was used to. Oh, okay. I, I don't really know, like who was right <laughs> or whether there is a right but i think she just got tired of him making fun of her taiwanese so she just started speaking mandarin all the time but i think they also just didn't feel like it was necessary to teach taiwanese because i think even now in taiwan most of the younger generation like don't learn taiwanese mm-hmm. um like a lot of the older people will use it almost exclusively but like the younger generation doesn't really. I think as a parent, like, I would also have a secret language that yeah. I could talk to the other I mean, parent in. I mean, probably. <laughs> that was probably one of the reasons. It was like, oh, well, if we want to say something, that then, <laughs> you know. And then for me and my sister, I was like, oh, just talk English real fast. And then <laughs> we'll also have our secret language. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to Bread and Rice. I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. So I reflected on our podcast, and I realized that I don't talk that much. So I wanted to add a little segment afterwards of my reflecting thoughts on the podcast. I think the question about identity and how I gained cultural capital maybe was a little bit more lifelong than what I let on. So because I did Taekwondo, since I was four and my master at the time was a Korean American, I think I did at least have a role model throughout my childhood of a Korean American person and having pride in that. And then I think because Pokemon took off and then Dragon Ball Z took off and I was a tomboy growing up, I also started reading like Bleach and Naruto And so that was something that I could connect with, with my friends that I made in college. I think also like going to Korean school, all four years of high school really helped out too, as well as YouTube, because then I could chat with my friends from Korean school and we would talk about the new music videos coming out or the new K-pop music coming out. DBSK was really big at the time, and that was one of my favorite bands. So... And Korean dramas were also starting to become big as well. And so, like, the classics of, like, My Name is Kim Samsoon or, like, Secret Garden, I had been watching those. And I think that gave me some common ground to make friends, um, as well as just having the life experience of being a Korean-American adoptee um, in Michigan. Um, but I think those were my thoughts for Identity. Um, Thank you for listening.